Race to Walk Podcast, Episode 12. Welcome to the Raise to Walk Podcast, where we're walking out the life of faith. Romans 6, verse 4 reads, As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And this show is designed to help you do just that. Now here's your host, Carla Alvarez. Thanks for joining me today for the Race to Walk podcast. And today I'm going to be talking a little bit about baptisms and also about community. So the other week was Fall Riot at Second, which is the church that I go to. And it's kind of a kickoff for the fall programs at church for the middle and high schoolers. It's the main time when the church really encourages the kids to invite their friends to come with them to church. Obviously, it's not the only time. After all, we are always supposed to be ready to tell others about Christ and welcoming them to be part of our church family. But in the weeks leading up to the fall riot, the primary focus is invite your friends. So what exactly is fall riot? Every week, the junior and senior high school students have a live service on Wednesdays. And it's such a large service that the adults are actually kicked out of the main worship center. Uh, We actually get stuck in the gym. And the service, the music, and the message is all for the the teens. And Fall Riot is kind of an amped up version of that. And like I said, there is a heavy focus on inviting their friends. In the beginning, there's food and games outside the church. And once the service starts, there are performances by local schools, music, um, message, and words from student leaders at Second that are members at the dif- of the different schools. And one of the things that I thought was really cool about it is that they bring the different schools together. And even though there are some school rival- rivalries, they encourage everyone to support each other. So this year, two of my girls went to Fall Riot, and it's always on Wednesday night, and literally everything else at the church shuts down for Fall Riot. There's no Awanas, there's no family night dinner, no Bible studies. They did have choir practice, but other than that, the focus is on Fall Riot, and they encourage the adults to volunteer for it. So since my youngest daughter wasn't going to a class, I was expecting that we would just be hanging out at home until it was time to pick up to the girls. But about 3.30 that afternoon, I checked my email, and there was an update from um, Pastor Quinata's assistant that the Power Prayer class would be held that night and that they had a special opportunity to participate in Fall Riot. So anyway, I picked up everybody we were taking and we went to find out what the plan was. And I had my youngest daughter with me. And at that point, I really didn't have time to find someone to watch her. So um, Pastor Q said, just bring her. So I did. And so the girls went off to do, you know, meet up with their friends. And then I went to the room where we normally have the power prayer class. And we had a very brief class and then Pastor Quinadas told us that those who wanted to stay would be on the prayer team. And so there were tons of adults volunteering in different areas, in the game area, food, um, those who would counsel people that made a decision for Christ. And what we were going to be doing was the intercessory prayer as so the service went on and then after the pastor had given an invitation for those who wanted to accept Christ we were going to be praying for people who had a need for prayer but weren't coming, making a decision for Christ. 
So the coolest thing about this was that he told us how to pray for them. He said if they had a problem with drinking, which we hate even thinking about that with kids that age, but it's a reality. He said to pray against the spirit of addiction. Um, he said if they were depressed, to pray against the spirit of heaviness, rejection, uh, things like that. He told us to be very specific. So in the past year, everything I've been reading has basically been on spiritual warfare and deliverance. Uh, and when I volunteer at the healing room, we, we pray specifically for healing. I mean, and it's physical healing. Sometimes we pray against an afflicting spirit if it's very obvious that that's what the issue is. But in general, they don't, they don't um, address deliverance. But to have a pastor in my church give specific instructions to pray that way, I was thinking this is just like really awesome. So on the... On the site on my on RaiseToWalk.org, if you go to RaiseToWalk.org forward slash P12, there's a I have a video um, included in the article that kind of gives an overview of what Fall Riot is like. So in the end, we didn't go up and pray for people. Um, the youth pastor that arranges with Pastor Quinados um, was the one that went with the the kids who accepted Christ, and like I said, this is kind of a last minute thing. And there was a miscommunication with the other pastors that led the second half, so the individual prayer for people didn't happen. They just had song time and kind of continued on. So we were still in there um, praying for the kids while this, the service was still going on. And I sat over to the very far side, and it was kind of cool because this is a, you know, my girls have gone to Fall Riot for several years, but I had never personally volunteered and I had never really seen what the service was like. So it was really, it was really interesting to see that. But um, I sat over to the far side and as the, the service went on, I noticed that there were a group of boys that were not paying attention at all to the message. They were on their phones, talking to each other, distracting the people in front of them. And so I started praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to them, that all the distracting spirits would be bound, that he would convict their hearts. And when Jason Mick gave the, the invitation to accept Christ, all eight of them went up, which I thought that was really awesome. So in total that night, 82 people accepted Christ that night. An additional 62 came forward to rededicate and recommit themselves to Christ, and 36 people were baptized. As I mentioned, this is one of the main outreaches of the youth ministry for the year, this and Beach Retreat. And every year, because of the very public and widespread promotion of it, primarily through kids inviting their friends, it seems to generate an uproar in the community. And you might ask, why and by whom? And the answer to this may surprise you. So there are two main things. First, there are people who are offended that there is a message and an invitation to accept Christ at the event. And their position is that because there are games and performances and music and things like that, that that some say it's misleading about the purpose and it should just be a quote-unquote community event. And that if you mix fun and church, you're being deceptive somehow. So, yeah, I don't, this, that whole string of logic doesn't really make sense to me, but that's kind of what their position is. So, just to be clear, yes, there are people, mostly in other Christian churches, who think it's out of line for a church to give a gospel message 
in one of their events. And it's a very bizarre mindset, I know. It's this, it is a community event, and it's the community of Christ. And I don't think being a Christian means you have to become a sour Sam. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And I think that when God sees us enjoying the life he's given us and the world he created for us with fellow believers he's brought us together with, I think that gives him joy. Don't you enjoy it when people appreciate the gifts you give them? And I think he does too. And also, I don't agree with the mindset that we're only supposed to talk about Jesus in church. And according to some, only at specific times in the church. Jesus' last words to his disciples were, Go, not sit. He said to go and preach the gospels to all nations. We are to be his witnesses. There are a ton of scriptures where he says this. And that directive is for all believers, everyone, every person who believes in and has accepted Christ as their Savior. It's not just for pastors or missionaries. We are to be ready in season and out of season. And the Holman Christian Bible translates 2 Timothy 4.2 this way. Proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. I just happened across some videos by a guy and his wife in New Jersey who are healing evangelists. And they just go around praying for people and the people get healed, delivered, and saved. And this is at Walmarts, in parks, in shopping centers, wherever God leaves them. They even witness to people at fast food places. And if you go to the episode article on my website at raisetowalk.org forward slash P12, I have a video of them ministering to and witnessing to people at a hot wings restaurant. So you have to go and check that one out. But the point is, we all need to be ready, even when we're just getting takeout at a fast food restaurant. The other big stink people raise about Fall Riot is baptism. And again, the biggest uproar is not, as you might think, by atheists. Their opinion is, whatever, they just got wet. It's actually by Catholics and for other denominations that are kind of, you know, closer along that mindset with infant baptisms that um, practice that. And in the last four years, I've read comments on uh, local forums in my community and some of the same things. I mean, it's always, always like huge page after page after page after discussion about this. And the same things always come up. And when I used to participate in those discussions, I don't anymore, but my position was always this. Accepting Christ is not something you come to because of a certain amount of religious classes that you take. When we come to Christ, it's because we've been convicted by the Holy Spirit that we're a sinner. And we have to acknowledge that and repent. And then we have to accept Christ as as our Savior, to redeem us from our sins, that we have to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own, that we will never be good enough, be righteous enough, to be acceptable, to be able to make us right with God, that we have to accept the blood atonement of Jesus and be redeemed by Him, and that that's the only way. That is coming to a a saving knowledge of Christ. And salvation is a personal decision. It's not something your parents can decide for you, and it doesn't matter which church you are a member of. Baptism is completely secondary. It's not 
a condition of salvation. But it's the first sign that we are walking in obedience to God because that is what Jesus tells us to do. That's what he says that believers are supposed to do. The only instructions we have, I mean, besides, you know, living a life of faith, but as far as practices is to, is the Lord's Supper and communion and believer's baptism. Those are the only two things that we're instructed to do. Dr. Young calls baptism raising your flag for Jesus. It's a public profession of a private decision. But as I personally hadn't witnessed the actual Farrell Wright program during all this time, I really didn't have an answer for some of the other criticisms that I heard. And now that I've been a part of it, I can. So one of those accusations is that the kids come forward just because of peer pressure. So as I mentioned before, uh, 164 people came forward and 84 of those were first-time decisions for Christ. And this was out of almost 1,500 people. The exact number of kids that attended was 1,466. And this is on the North Campus. This is going on. um, Second has five different campuses. This goes on on all five campuses. But the people that come forward were in the minority, not the majority. They weren't going along with the crowd. They were standing up and stepping out. Besides that, the people that come forward kind of miss out on part of the program. Not a lot, but, you know, after they'll have kind of a, uh, in the beginning they have this time where they have speakers and, you know, the drill teams and bands from the different schools of all the kids that are in the church. And it's kind of cool because, like I said, all of them kind of come together. And then they have, they have a message. And then after the message, they have an invitation to accept Christ. And at that point, those people that come forward are kind of taken aside to another room and they're, they're counseled. Pray, they pray with them. So they go off somewhere else. And so they miss part of the program. There's, there's music afterwards and the people who are coming forward miss that part of it. So the other, the other thing that, uh, accusation that, I've heard made is that the kids just come forward for prizes. So someone actually posted this on a message board that a friend's daughter had said that they just came forward because they were getting prizes. And I have to say that is a flat out and absolute lie. I mean, they do have drawings at the end and at the end things were passed out, but this is like about 30 minutes after the message and invitation. I mean, the two, it's not like tied together time-wise at all. And that someone would even say that tells me that the parents were probably riled up and trash-talking the event and that the girls just said that to deflect participating in it. It's totally not true. I mean, it's just a flat-out lie. So the other accusation I've heard that kids are baptized without the parents' permissions. So let's keep in mind this is a Baptist church. They pretty much have an open-door policy on baptism. If you've made your confession of faith in Christ and you want to be baptized, they are always ready to baptize you. They have a baptism, baptismal out in front of the church. They have one in the church. They have t-shirts, clothes, towels, anything you need to be baptized. I mean, you say, you go up to somebody and say, I want to be baptized today. They'll say, awesome, let's go. So they do have, they will have special services like this one. You know, they also will let people know, like for bigger services like Easter or Christmas or my daughter was 
baptized by Dr. Young on Mother's Day at our church. It was actually pretty awesome. Um, But they'll make a specific invitation to be baptized. So at Fall Riot, anyone under 13, so 6th grade and some 7th graders, they won't baptize them without their parents there. Just period. But anybody who wants to be baptized, they have to call their parents first. So this is after Fall Riot, but it's not actually part of the main program. So in previous years, my my daughter had called uh, asking me to wait to pick her up because she had wanted to see her friends baptized. And this year, they must have done the actual baptisms closer to like 9 o'clock because, and this was an hour after Fall Riot ended because I walked into the sanctuary at 840 and they hadn't even started preparing for the baptisms yet. So it's not a get people hyped up and go. I mean, it's literally like quite a, a period of time afterwards. So another accusation I've heard is baptizing someone right there is not taking baptism seriously. And all I have to do, say to this is that you really need to go and read the Bible and look and see when and how baptisms occurred. So just a few examples. And this is most, you know, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, this is mostly in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, Philip meets the Ethiopian Enoch on the road and tells him about Christ. And then after he, he accepts Christ, Enoch says, what's keeping me from being baptized right now? And Philip didn't tell him no. He didn't tell him he had to go to Jerusalem and study for a couple years until he could take it seriously. They stopped the chariot, got out, and Philip baptized him right there. I mean, if you want to call something a Dunkin' Dash, that's literally what it was. Because immediately after that, Philip's translated somewhere else and the Enoch never even sees him again. Then in Acts chapter 16, Lydia heard Paul preaching on the riverbank. And she believed and accepted Christ and was baptized along with all her household right then. And later in that same chapter, Paul is beaten and thrown in prison for um, after he... Uh, exercised the slave girl, and then he was supernaturally freed. And the jailer believes in Christ, and he and his family is baptized immediately, and some translations translate it as within the hour. And then also, is Paul's own conversion, after Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was brought to Ananias, because if you remember, he was, you know, saw this light, he was blinded, and so he was led to Damascus. He was there for three days and Ananias came and prayed for him. And as soon as Ananias prayed and Paul's sight was restored, Paul was told, why do you wait? Repent and be baptized. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached to the crowd after receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so this is actually the beginning of the church. Uh, And 3,000 people believed and were baptized right then. It seems from reading the argument from Catholics, at least from my perspective, is that the crux of the issue for them is that since their children are baptized as infants, they think that they're saved. And so the whole concept of making a personal decision for Christ, followed by believer's baptism, is almost an insult to them. It's, they, it's, it almost seems like they see it as something that threatens their faith. And this is 
kind of puzzling to me because I've read the Catholic Statement of Faith on Salvation and their view of sanctification is sometimes a little different than Protestant churches. But when it comes to salvation, I really don't see that there is any difference in the belief of what, you know, what salvation actually is. I'm going to read from a, uh, a quote from a joint declaration between the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church. It, I'm going to read it and then give you the, they actually quote individual verses that they're using as their authority on this. And this is talking about salvation on being justified before God. The justified live by faith that comes from the word of Christ. This is according to Romans 10, 17. And is active through love. Galatians 5, 6. The fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22, but since the justified are assailed from within and without by powers and desires, Romans 8.35-39 and Galatians 5.16-21, and fall into sin, 1 John 1.8 and verse 10, they must constantly hear God's promises anew, confess their sins, 1 John 1 9, participate in Christ's blood and body and be exhorted to live righteously in accordance with the will of God. That is why the Apostle says to the justified, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, enabling you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. This is Philippians 2 12. But the good news remains that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is Romans 8.1. And in whom Christ lives, Galatians 2.20, Christ's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. It's Romans 5.18. In faith, we together hold the conviction that justification is the work of the triune God, The Father sent His Son into the world to save sinners. The foundation and presupposition of justification is the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ. Justification thus means that Christ Himself is our righteousness, in which we share through the Holy Spirit in accord with the will of God the Father. Together we confess, by grace alone, in faith in Christ's saving work, and not because of any merit on our part, we are accepted by God and receive the Holy Spirit who renews our hearts while equipping and calling us to do good works. So there's a lot more and it lists areas where they disagree. But notice the point of agreement it, it, that it's by grace alone in faith in Christ that we are saved. It doesn't say water baptism as an infant. It says by faith in Christ. So a baby is not capable of making a decision for Christ. They have no understanding of right or wrong. They don't know or understand that they're sinners. They cannot repent. I mean, just the core crux of salvation, they, they, can't, they can't do that. So it, you have to be able to come to a point of understanding that be, before you can become a believer because you don't know what you're believing otherwise. And even the theologians of the early Catholic Church stated that baptism was by immersion. So this is a quote from, um, the. it's actually on baptism from the Catholic Encyclopedia and it was written by William Fanning. 
The word baptism is derived from the Greek word bapto or baptizo, to wash or to immerse. It signifies, therefore, that washing is of the essential idea of the sacrament. The most ancient form usually employed was unquestionably immersion. This is not only evident from the writings of the fathers and the early rituals of both the Latin and Oriental churches, but it can also be gathered from the epistles of St. Paul, who speaks of baptism as a bath. And this is Ephesians 5.26, Romans 6.4, Titus 3.5. In the Latin church, immersion seems to have prevailed until the 12th century. After that time, it is found in some places even as late as the 16th century. Infusion and aspersion, however, were growing common in the 13th century and gradually prevailed in the Western church. The Oriental churches have retained immersion. And then this is another comment on baptism, and this is actually written... Um, this Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it was actually written by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, which you know became Pope Benedict later. This sacrament is called baptism after the central rite by which it is carried out. Greek meaning baptize in. It means to plunge or immerse. The plunge into water symbolizes the catechumen's burial into Christ's death, from which he rises up by resurrection with him as a new creature. I'm going to be reading a couple quotes that say very clearly that this baptism comes after an individual comes to faith in Christ afterwards and when they can understand what it is. Uh, And it should be done when an individual can answer for themselves. So this first quote is from actually from Tertullian on baptism as one of the early church fathers. But they whose office it is know that baptism is not rashly to be administered. God's approbation said sure premonitory tokens before it. Every petition may both deceive and be deceived. And so, according to the circumstances and disposition and even age of each individual, the delay of baptism is preferable, principally, however, in the case of little children. The Lord does indeed say, Forbid them not to come unto me. Let them come then when they are growing up. Let them come while they are learning. While they are learning whither to come, let them become Christians when they have become able to know Christ. Why does the innocent period of life hasten to the remission of sins? If any understand the weighty import of baptism, they will fear its reception more than its delay. Sound faith is secure as salvation. So what he's saying here is that this is, it. it, it people need to understand what they're doing, um, what they're entering into. And if you baptizing you're basically saying i'm standing with christ the first church when they were making that statement you have to, they were literally coming to a point where they were risking their lives even tertullian he lived in the second century he was born in 160 a.d and died in 220 a.d and you have to remember that Christians were still being persecuted. They, it was the Christian faith was still illegal during that time in the Roman Empire, and so it wasn't. It literally was not a little thing to be to making a stand. Like you don't go and become baptized and then turn away. You just don't do that. I mean, it was they were making sure people understood what they were doing. Okay, and then here is another. This is from the Oration on Holy Baptism, and this was preached at Constantinople. So 
This is, be it so, some will say, in the case of those who ask for baptism, what have you to say about those who are still children and conscious, neither of the loss nor of the grace? Are we to baptize them too? Certainly if any danger presses, but in respect of others, I give my advice to wait until the end of the third year, or a little more or less, when they are able to listen and to answer something about the sacrament, that even though they do not perfectly understand it, yet at any rate they may know the outlines, and then to sanctify them in soul and body with the great sacrament of our consecration. So infant baptism to ensure salvation has not always been the tradition or teaching of the Catholic Church. Actually, it's total opposite, and it's never been scriptural. So where does the drama come in? I really don't know, other than I think it makes people question what God really says about salvation. I think that from everything I read, I don't think the Catholic Church, that's their stance, but I think just from talking to people, this seems to be what they're thinking, is that they they were saved when they because they were baptized as an infant. And that when this comes up every year, it like stirs up those questions and it gets people riled up because then they have to, they have to examine that thought and really look at it. Is that, is that right? And I think that is where all the drama comes in. I think one of the things I remember most about my experience volunteering for Fall, Fall Riot was at the very end, the sight of my daughter and her friends consoling one of their friends who was crying because her mother wouldn't let her be baptized. So here are some, I'm just going to read some verses here that are, I think that are related to this. Matthew 18:5. But anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. These next two verses are really um, verses about standing in the face of drama and upset and uproar. This is Revelation 2, 1-4. through 4. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place until you repent. And then First Peter three fourteen through 15 But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. So thanks for joining me for this episode. And if you'd like to read the references to this, I also mentioned a couple of of videos. You can find all that on this episode's article on RaiseToWalk.org by going to RaiseToWalk.org. 
forward slash P12. And now let's end with a prayer. Lord, thank you for that you loved us so much that you not only provided for our our salvation, our eternal salvation, but that you also provided for our our ongoing sanctification, that you are here wanting to empower our lives and to help us help us walk joyfully in you. And I also thank you that you have given us and instructed us in this act of baptism, that it's not only our our conversation, our decision with you, but that you have given us this instruction so that we have a time and a point where we can look back on and say, this is the day I stood up for Christ. This is the day I let everybody know I'm in. And I pray that for each one of us that that day of baptism is a time where we can look back and say, yes, this is the day I stood up for Christ. This is the day I started my walk. This is the day that I came to him and started walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that for each one of us. And I pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Raised to Walk podcast. We'd love for you to continue to walk with us, so head over to raisedtowalk.org news to get free updates. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.